Jason, we need to work on your listening skills. You need your ears to listen, Jason. You listen with your mind, Peter. You hear with your ears. You listen with your mind. Welcome back to the Such Nerds podcast. This is episode eight, and we are finishing off part five, The Merchant Princes of Isaac Asimov's Foundation. I am Jason, and I am defending my innocence in a kangaroo court. And I'm Peter, and I'm down to the skin. I'm Russ, and I'm one frigate shy of a galactic armada. Brother rolls deep. So where were we, gentlemen? Where so we? we left off. I'll 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 kind of set us up here, and then Peter, I'm going to hand it over to you because you have got this on lock, and you're going to walk us through the rest of the uh, the rest of the section here. We ended our last episode, if you guys can remember when, uh, when we were recording that. Uh, we ended it with Harbor Mallow on his way back to Terminus after he had discovered nuclear weapons on Corel, where he made that savvy trade deal with the Comdor, much to the Comdora, his wife's chagrin, and also visited Cywina, I believe is the name of the planet, where he discovered the existence of power plants that were still running from the old Galactic Empire. So here he is back on his way to Terminus. Take us away, Peter. Okay, so we're back on our back on Terminus and a boy, Marshmallow, aka his real name, Hobermallow, Mallow, is hanging out in his sweet new palace. He's down to the skin, according to the book. And his uh, his assistant is putting fresh cigars in his mouth. So take that for what you will. And he's confronted by what's his name? Where is it? Sut. Yep. Confronted by Sut for going against Foundation's, not laws, but customs, by not spreading uh, the word of the galactic spirit to the Corellian Empire. Mallow says that he is in accordance with the law, and custom is not law. And Sut, you know, kind of begrudgingly says, but maybe it should. And he's upset because Mallow has made out like a bandit. He's making money hand over fist with this Corellian deal. He's paying his taxes. He's done nothing wrong. He didn't, you know, fall for any of the traps that were set for him so far. He figured out that Twer, is that his name? Twer. Twer was a spy. He manages to greatly upset Sut, and in doing so, Sut manages to get our guy on trial. So so he does there's like a whole build up there to get him on trial, right? He visits him at his house. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sees him living in the lap of luxury. Right. He basically offers him a plea. He says, if you do this, we won't take you to court kind of thing, right? And he tries to get him to, you know, bow out of the political uh, campaign or whatever for mayor that he... Yeah, because now he's threatened because now he's legitimate power. To Sut's boss. Yeah. And so he threatens him to say, if you don't do this, we're going to put you on trial for the murder of the uh, foundation priest, right? That's what he tells him. Yeah, for, which, uh, if you guys recall, was a very suspicious setup right. from the get-go. 
And Hober Mallow says, bring it on. He basically doesn't give. Yeah. Yeah. Mallow goes on trial. Russ, you want to tell us what happens during that trial? Um, it's a, I would say it's very similar to the um, Harry Seldon. Ooh, that's a good trial. trial. I didn't pick yeah. up. It's like, um, you know, they, they think they're going to prosecute him. They got him between a rock and a hard place. And he has outmaneuvered them again. And he goes through, he has something similar to microfilm confirm his interaction or the way that he had acted, the way in which he had acted with the priests um, and Corel, and they're able to stop it, slow it down, magnify, zoom in. They find out that the priest was actually part of the Corellian secret police. He has like a uh, ultraviolet tattoo. And, and somehow they managed to flash ultraviolet light and, and isolate it. And he said it was a complete accident that they found it, I guess. Apparently his ship was, was bathing uh, the insides in ultraviolet light, but Corel on Corel, their lights don't give off ultraviolet. So, so I guess he was just saying, skin cancer. Maybe that explains brother's dark skin. Could you know, be. He's always getting that sweet, sweet tan. <laughs> Tanning bulbs installed in all the hallways. Yeah, just like a quick blast. Whales and greased up, and that's good for vitamin D too. So you know, he's built like a Greek god. I mean, you can't keep that to yourself. Let's be real. (laughs) It's a gift. It's a gift to the world. So, so would you call that a kangaroo court? I would call it a kangaroo court. So they, uh, so he manages to turn the tide on um, on the whole trial situation. After day one went very badly, and then he reveals that. Not only did he not break the law, but he didn't fall for a, a ruse that was set for him by the Corellians. And the his the person he was supposedly accused of murdering didn't even exist. Therefore, he could not you know murder him. And then uh, he swings from he rides the, the the wave of popular opinion into the mayor mayoral chair. His primary impetus of doing that is to also combine the two worlds of being the head of the religion of the galactic spirit. That's just what I'm calling it. I don't know. I don't remember what the foundation's religious name is. Do we have one? Is there one? Aren't they um... great galloping galaxies, Peter? Don't you remember? <laughs> Did you guys not appreciate? The new swear word. I didn't catch it. What was it? Great galloping galaxies. Oh well, ga- great galaxy has already been established. Well, yeah. Well, oh, galaxy has has been used in the trade. Don't forget about black space. Black space. That's right. Yeah, that's another one. I do like that. Yeah, seems very. Uh, seems dark. Anyway, so the uh, so the philanderers or the uh, the the masonites. Or whatever they're called, the concretists. They um. And so he he desires to become head of the religion as well as the he's dominating trade. He's now a mayor, and um, I don't really understand how the the tie-in for religion is, but he he marks it as a a thing of great concern for him. And the reason for it is that he needs it to head off. The next, the next Selden crisis, because they there's been a convening of external and internal forces like pushing against him, and uh, against the foundation and its survival. The internal push being uh, the spread of religion and kind of the political maneuvering that's going on inside of the foundation, 
the outside pressure being the Corellians that want to destroy and dominate Foundation. Um, and the Corellians are backed by the old empire in some kind of roundabout way. And his solution, once he gets there, Marshmallow just, they're asking him what he's going to do in this crisis. And he says nothing. He's not going to do anything. So the Corellians are trying to uh, instill, you know, push, push him around with their weight. And Mallow argues that the basically will be a war of waiting almost because the atomics that the Corellians have become super dependent on, like their washing machines and their floor scrubbers and their air conditioning units and all the little things that make creature comforts happen will slowly start to die over the next couple of years. And uh, to which his, uh, his right-hand man who feel free to jump in with this guys, he complains that, you know, what, what are we going to be up against a, a housewives rebellion? He says, no, like people will live uncomfortable for a long time. What's what'll shut them down is when the, the atomics that are a part of the machine, like the manufacturers and like the steel making process, the production, the means of production shuts down. That's when they'll, they'll come around. That's when things will turn around. And he's, you know, this guy argues that, well, they were able to do these things without our atomics beforehand. He said, yeah, but it was at 10 times the amount of time and, and a tenth of this as efficient. And um, people have gotten used to that level of production, basically. And so uh, we find out that, yes, indeed, the solution to do nothing, the, the war without the war without any deaths or, or victims was ultimately won by the foundation. And. That's basically how things get wrapped up for this chapter. You guys have anything to add? Of course, Peter, always. Um, <laughs> like something worthwhile. Like Jason. something worthwhile? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I should probably say Thorndike because... I yeah, so you talked things. about him becoming like a head of the religion. That's a concern for him. But again, I'm going back to, I think we've moved past religion at this point, and I'm basing that on the quote on page 295 where, and the, the sidekick's name or assistant or secretary's name is jail, J A E L jail. And uh, so what he tells him is becomes the head of the department of like ministry and love. I, I think it's the ministry of love. Yeah. 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 So he, (laughs) he's got rats and cages. For those of you just joining us, welcome back to our 1984 podcast. Dystopia podcast. Um, He says, I'm sure of the Selden crisis and the historical validity of their solutions externally and internally. There are some things I didn't tell Sut right now. He tried to control the foundation itself by religious forces as he controlled the outer worlds. And he failed, which is the surest sign that in the Selden scheme, religion is played out. So Mallow himself knows that we're at the end of spiritual supremacy and we're on the eve of economic supremacy as the means of of maintaining the balance and maintaining the peace in the foundation which is to become the second galactic empire so we're like it's capitalistic nihilism that we're facing now that's going to be their tool to power i i was calling it uh an interconnected web of trade peter but there are probably other ways to describe it i don't know if i would call it capitalistic nihilism exactly <laughs> Godlessness. Godlessness. Russ, what are your thoughts on that? 
or in general or things we missed? I don't know. I, I feel like it was a slow burn. I think we mentioned that, uh, that before. Yes, it was the, it was the, um, mental calisthenics of like forcing the hand of bigger machines for, um, more ingenuity and innovative machines. I think that's what I took away from it was you allowed the old empire to exist and continue and you didn't want to change anything. We had to adapt and figure out a way to create something in a much smaller capacity. And now we can take advantage of those uh, stagnant societies with our technology. That's the size of the nucleics, Russ? Yeah. 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 But it's also a, you know, a synonym for, you know, like the maneuverability of the foundation versus the lumbering empire. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's a good segue because I I found out a little interesting piece of trivia that when this was originally published, it was published under the name, the big and the little by eyes and off. That was the name of the original chapter. um, When it was published in astounding science fiction Mm. in 1944. So that was, I felt like that was, uh, a much more appropriate name, you know, that it yeah. kind of tells you the point of the story. And uh, going back to the personal shield story from the last episode we discussed, um, one of the things that the, the tech men couldn't get over was the size of the nucleics. Like he couldn't, couldn't figure out how, or sorry, the atomics. He, he couldn't believe that there's a tiny little atomic battery or power plant inside this little personal protective shield. And uh, I am disappointed that he didn't learn that the slow knife penetrates the shield. But, you know, there's time for that. For those of you just joining us, welcome back to our Dune podcast. Yeah, I think he did. He talks about it being like less than the size of his thumb, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that uh, was the thing that really shocked the tech. And man. he was like, there is no way. There is no way you have a nuclear reactor in this tiny little thing. And of course, it like fails in two days, right? He has it. It works for two days and then it never yeah. turns on again. I think it technically is three, but I'm whatever. Yeah, a couple of days. Yeah. And then it, it uh, yeah, it just stops. It just stops, right? So whatever he left. Yeah, behind, it's like the end of the chapter. It's yeah. just, it, it ends after two days. And no matter how much tinkering and prodding he could, you know, did at it, could never get it to work again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, they, at some point they allude to the fact that the technology of, I keep wanting to say terminus, but the foundations is actually superior to the technology of the old empire. So whatever they've been able to preserve or progress with, it's still better than what the old empire is currently churning out. And they're still willing to trade it for tin. (laughs) Sweet, sweet tin. Sweet, sweet tin. (laughs) You need that top foil, baby. Those cranberries are going to get all dried out if you don't just put a little How how are the B-52s ever going to come out with their hit song, Love Shack, 50,000 years from now if they don't have tin roofs anymore? Well, what? (laughs) I didn't get that reference at all, Jay. No. Russ, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I know what a Love Shack is. You know the song? Love Shack, baby? Yeah. Yeah. When they stop and they do the monologue and they say tin roof rusted, you're not following. Okay. Oh, yeah. you guys are the worst. All right. So, any concluding thoughts 
Yeah, I thought the you know I enjoyed the section, right? I thought this was I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed the traders, um, but it did just seem it it ended very abruptly. I was kind of expecting another Selden reveal, right? Because after every Selden crisis, we had a Selden reveal and. You know, that was cool. I just realized that our boy Harry, uh, not Harry, um, our boy Harden got to have two of those. You got to see Harry Seldon's vault open twice. He was there for the coup, right? And then he was there for the post Anacreonian, Asconian, sorry. Yeah, no. Ascon? Acreon? Yes. Yes. Anacreon. Anacreon. Ana- Where did Ascon come from? Yeah, from the traders. <laughs> Okay. Um, Yeah, so the Anacreonian uh, revolution, then we got one. But there wasn't anything like that after the Asconian revolution, right? That wasn't, there was no Harry Seldon vault open, right? Yeah, not after Ascon, not after Corel. Yes. Yeah, you're right. We don't get any more vault, any more vault openings on Terminus. Right. So that's a little disappointing. You know, that would have been a nice way to kind of wrap things up. I realize he's writing these things months apart right. and then essentially collected them. Um, I found out also that the traders was actually written after the big and the little, which became the merchant princes. Right. But when he collected it into a book, for whatever reason, he put the, uh, the traders in before that. Yeah. Cause there's a reference, there's a reference in the merchant princes back to the Asconian event, right. Or the Asconian, remember what happened at, at Asco, Ascon or Asquan or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And um, so maybe he latched onto that and then really, you know, filled it out right. after the fact, but then put it in yeah. appropriate galactic chronology or whatever. And according to at least one review I read, that they felt that the traders was a weaker a chapter. And I, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. That, um, than the Merchant Princess. So yeah, it just kind of it felt like it just kind of ended though. And, yeah. I mean, my audiobook literally ended with the end. <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, okay. Yeah, I agree. It was like, I uh, I think I mentioned this uh, when we were getting ready for today, but yeah, it was like kind of a, it was a little bit anticlimactic at the very end. And I think that's why I kind of went ahead and started reading the next book right away because it just felt like this hasn't ended yet. There's more, there's got to be more going on. I think um, we need to after talk this. Jason. You couldn't sit with that disappointment for like even a little bit. Not even a little bit. A little bit. I sat with it for you a little bit. I think that's due to like childhood trauma. Probably. Or um, I'm sure that's part of it. <laughs> I can't live with this uncomfortable feeling of not knowing or this letdown. But I met by, – by doing that, don't forget that I met the actual Forel of the foundation. Yes. Which you have yet to meet. You should be excited about because it's going to be great. What I want to know is, is happiness the truth? Uh-huh. Because you're happy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like a room without a roof. Is that because you spelled it and you, that's how it's spelled? Yep. Seems like the same uh, kind of logic. Hold on. Let me hold on. Yeah. Yep. I uh, I just spelled it and uh, and that's how it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Russ, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, no, I, I am, um, excited that we got book one down and you sound now, like it, Russ, you sound very, very much excited. Well, the next one is written as a, is the, the next book. one is actually written as a, a novel. Yeah. I'm excited about that too, for the same reason. 
Yeah. Is it? I, I don't know. I didn't I think uh, it I is. aware of that fact. So that I think be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after after the success of the publishing of Foundation as a novel, he went on to write other books. And um, what is the next book we're reading, guys? Foundation and Empire. Well, you want to do it in chronological order, right? Yeah, we want to do it in order of written, right? What is it? Foundation and Empire. Foundation and Empire. Okay, yes. so that sounds like a showdown to me. So, Children of Dune. So, Children of Dune. <laughs> Followed by Children of Harim, and that's a Lord of the Rings. Reference. And then we start the robot series. <laughs> Perfect. And and Ender's Game. Yeah, throw that Flat in there, too. Trilogy. And Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We'll get that in there, too. Yeah, don't panic. We'll get there. Cover it all in next episode. It'll be amazing. <laughs> so uh, we are at the end of the novel. We've gotten to the end of The Merchant Princes with Harbor... Harbor, Habor, Hobar, Hobart, Haber, Haver. What's his name? Hober Mallow. Hober. Hober Mallow. Yeah, Marshmallow. 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 Is uh, now, I guess, the head of the mayor of Terminus, right? But he's... He's also head of the religion somewhere. Primate. Uh, well, he took control of the religion, but he, in a kind of a, um, what do they call that? as a kind of a figurehead or a, uh, I don't know, is it figurehead role? A god emperor? Is that what you would call him? Maybe. He's accused by his second-hand man or second or first, whatever, right-hand man, whatever it's, J-L. Mm-hmm. J-A-E-L, not J-A-I-L. Um, as he's accused of establishing a plutocracy. Yes. So the, I guess they still know about the ninth planet of our solar system. At uh, fifty thousand years into the future, what is a plutocracy? It's an actual thing. I thought it was like a government on Pluto. Is that not no, the case? It's a, it's a ruling class of elites. Oh, oh, okay. The only reason I know this is because I played Star Control Three, and one of the one of the ultimate big bads is they're the Plutarchs, and I had to look that up at one point. And uh, a plutocracy is a country or society governed by the wealthy. Yeah, there you go. Similar to an oligarchy. So, yeah, I wasn't far off of the elites, though. Yes, good job. And they don't have to have originated on the planet Pluto or the meteor Pluto or whatever it is. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, we're long past the um, the scattering, as it were. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we have gotten to the end of the book. We're getting ready to uh, dig into Foundation and Empire next. Um, this will basically be our last episode of, of you know, the part-by-part portion of Season 1. Um, but if you guys are not opposed to it, I think maybe we regroup, maybe have a guest on the show to talk about the book in its entirety and uh, and get kind of spooled up for our next foray into the next novel. All right. Thank you, everybody. We are now at the end of Isaac Asimov's Foundation, getting ready for book two of the series, Foundation and Empire. Peter's excited because it sounds like we're getting set up for a bit of a clash, right, Peter? Yeah, we got we got two major superpowers, it looks like. We got the the ashes of the old empire, and we have the new superpower of the foundation. Yeah, maybe we'll see some atomics. Maybe we'll see some um, some universal washlets. 
I don't know. <laughs> I think I think we can actually hope for peace if that happens. Well, we will have to read more to find out. And uh, with that, I think this wraps up our episode and our season, our first season of the Such Nerds podcast. Thank you again to all of our listeners, uh, current and future who will uh, walk with us and, and take this journey through the foundation with the Such Nerds podcast. I have been your host tonight, Jason, with my co-hosts, Peter and Russ. And we wish you all the best until we talk to you again next season. Have a good night, everybody. I'm still down to the skin. May space be with you.